0: Good morning, River Rock Bible Church. How are you this morning? Good. Are you guys excited as I am about the Christmas season? It's one of my absolute favorite times of the year because for about a month I get to not care about what I eat or how I look because I get to wear these big baggy sweaters. I love Christmas time. It is one of my absolute favorite times of the year. Um, one of the one of the announcements that we forgot to mention earlier, and I just want to draw your attention to, is we have a very special opportunity coming up on Christmas Eve, January 24th, is uh, Christmas in the Courthouse. We have got the uh, Williamson County Courthouse downtown uh, right there on the square. We did this last year, and it was amazing. We got to have Christmas Eve service right there in one of the historic courtrooms uh, there in the courthouse. And if you didn't get to join us last year, I hope you'll join us this year. We're just doing one service at 6 p.m. And we want to encourage you. This is the perfect opportunity to invite your friends. We always ask you about who you're praying for that doesn't know Christ, who you're praying for that's far from God. Christmas is the perfect time of year to have a conversation with them about Jesus Christ and to invite them to a service where they're going to hear the good news of Jesus Christ's birth and why it's so important. Because we're not just Celebrating his birth, we're celebrating his death and his resurrection. Um, we're celebrating the greatest gift that God has ever given us, which is the gift of salvation. And so this is the perfect opportunity. We have these little flyers back at the connections table. It's got all the information on there. Pick up as many as you need. We have about 100 printed up, and we're going to get a bunch more printed up. So we hope that you will take these with you, hand them out at work, and invite your friends uh, to come with you to Christmas Eve in the courthouse after the service. We'll have some refreshments. Last year we had an opportunity for you to have your picture taken there on the balcony, so all the lights That are downtown are in the background. It's a great opportunity for a family picture. Um, Just come and celebrate with us. It'll be about a 45-minute service, and then you can enjoy the rest of your evening with your family. So hope you guys will join us. This morning, we are beginning a brand new series called Don't Worry. Uh, uh, Do Not Be Afraid. Excuse me. Do Not Be Afraid. As we read through the early accounts of the Gospels in Matthew and and Luke in their first few chapters, we read four times that an angel appears to someone, to different people, and he says, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And and I imagine that that's a pretty real uh, issue whenever you're confronted with an angel. I've never seen one myself, but I imagine that it would be a pretty frightening experience when you have an angel standing before you with a message from God. Uh, And so we read four times throughout this account of Jesus' birth, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. And so we're going to look at three of those characters, three of those people to whom the angel comes and he says, do not be afraid. And this morning we're going to start by looking at Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 26 and we're going to look at Mary's story and her encounter with the angel as he comes to tell her about the birth of Jesus Christ and how it will come to be. You know, as I think about it, I'm reminded of uh, a husband and wife, and they have just been going at it all day long, and the husband is finally exasperated because this wife, she's always worried about stuff. She's worried about the kids. She's worried about the, you know, the bank account. She's worried about the house. She's worried about, you know, the pillows don't match. We don't have enough pillows on the bed. We got to get more pillows on the bed. I need more pillows on the bed, and she's worried about all these things. And the husband says, Honey, I'm I'm so tired of you always being worried. And she says, Well, I have to worry because ninety percent of the things that I worry about never happen. She was and it's so true that all these things that we worry about, many of the things that we worry about never come to pass. And we find ourselves worried about them anyways. And this morning we're gonna see someone in the story of Mary who had reason to worry. She had reason to be troubled as our text is going to tell us in just a moment. And we're going to look at what her situation was, what situation she found herself in, and then we're going to look at the angel's message to her, and then Mary's response. And then we're going to look at that, and we're going to apply that to ourselves this morning. So I want to just jump right into the text. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, says this. In the sixth month... Uh, and this is the sixth month of her cousin Elizabeth's uh, pregnancy. Elizabeth was told she couldn't have kids. And then the angel comes to her husband and says, by the way, your wife's going to have a baby. And here's what you're going to name him and all these things. And, uh, and so that's John the Baptist. That's Jesus' cousin. And so uh, Mary, Mary's sister Elizabeth is pregnant. And it's the sixth month of her pregnancy. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to God, sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. Now here's something you need to know about Nazareth and Galilee. In this day, people from Nazareth and Galilee were considered hicks. They were outcast. Nobody wanted anything to do with them, even when they were Jewish people like she is, like Mary is, she was an outcast because of their proximity to the Gentiles. And just by the nature of where they lived, they had a lot of contact with the Gentile people. And so the, the real Jewish people, who would never have contact with Gentiles, didn't want anything to do with them. And they somewhat despised them because of where they lived. And, and they were like, like people from Arkansas, kind of, to us. You know, like they're just, you know, they're just backwards, like from Appalachia. Like they got, they got a toothbrush because they only got one tooth. Right? Otherwise, they call it a teeth brush. Uh, And and so, this is her situation. This is where she is. She's in Galilee of Nazareth. The angel comes to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I have not been intimate with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, therefore... The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and in this, this is the sixth month for her who, will, who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. We have a number of things going on here, and you've got to put yourself in Mary's shoes for just a moment. Let's see if we can do that. Mary is most likely a teenager, probably in her mid to early teens. This was about the time when young women in those days would be engaged. So she's a teenager, she's young, she's a teenager, uh, and, and she's engaged, probably to the man of her dreams. I mean, he's, he's from the line of David. From the town of Bethlehem, here's a girl from the Styx, from Nazareth in Galilee, one of the lowest of the low places. And she's engaged to a man of the house of David from Bethlehem. This is a big step up for her. She's probably known him all of her life as he lives there in Nazareth as well. She's known him. She's probably known for a long time that this is the man she's going to marry. She's looked forward to this time. She's, she's in that one-year period of engagement where they're, they're preparing to get married. And she knows what's coming. She's got, you know how young girls do when you get engaged, you start dreaming about what color the drapes are going to be and all those pillows that you're going to put on the bed and all those different things that, that you start dreaming about and family and, and all those things. And without, without warning, an angel bursts onto the scene with news that's going to threaten all of her dreams, all of her dreams are now threatened. She's going to be asked to be a mother of a child, as a teenager, out of wedlock. And this is a big deal. So we have someone who is socially outcast. We have someone who is a single teenage, not married and pregnant. Imagine yourself in that situation as a young lady. Single teenager, not married and pregnant. She's engaged to someone who is not the father of her child. Imagine what's going through his mind. We're going to look at that next week. She's losing her dream life. Everything that she's dreamed about as a little girl, getting married, settling down. It wasn't like it is today where, where people stayed single till they're 30, 40 years old. They have a career. They have their families. They do it all. As a young girl in this day and age, all she had to look forward to was to be married, to have a man who would take care of her. And she risks losing that. Not only that, but she's going to be stigmatized. Everyone knows that this isn't Joseph's baby. Everyone knows that somehow Mary got pregnant out of wedlock. Now, I want you to put yourself in those people's shoes and imagine a teenage girl tells you that she's pregnant with God's child. How believable is that to you? When my wife and I went to a couple missions trips on the Amazon, uh, they have these pink river dolphins, that are in the river, and they're beautiful. Uh, if you ever get a chance to go, I hope you get to see some of these pink river dolphins. They don't look like dolphins in the ocean. They look a little different, but, but they're, they're this beautiful pink color. And as we'd visit these small villages, we found out that there's this old wives' tale. Uh, because every once in a while, one of the teenage girls in the village gets pregnant. And they ask who the father is, and nobody could ever figure out who the father is. And so they came up with this story about how this pink river dolphin would grow legs, climb out of the river, come up into the village, and get these girls pregnant, and then climb back into the river. Um, But strangely enough, most of these babies would end up looking like one of the men in the village. So uh, somehow that river dolphin was able to produce all these different-looking babies. Now we laugh at that story, but that's about as plausible, I mean, is about as believable as saying, you know what, this is God's child that I'm carried. I'm still a virgin. And that's what she's going to have to live with the rest of her life. No one is going to believe her. She's going to be labeled some of those names that, that you probably haven't heard much of since high school. Of what they call girls who get pregnant out of wedlock. Not only that, but her son. Her child is going to have to live with the stigma, uh, the, the, being stigmatized of being an illegitimate child. And he's going to have to grow up. And that's going to follow him for the rest of his life. That everywhere he goes, everyone know, will know that he was an illegitimate child. And lastly, perhaps the biggest thing for her is that according to Deuteronomy 22... What's just happened to her is something that is punishable by death. Being pregnant while engaged and not being married was punishable by death. Scripture says that in this situation, she was to be taken outside the city gates and stoned. That's the situation that Mary finds herself in. Can we all agree that Mary has a reason to be worried? She has a reason to be a little bit afraid? but what does the angel say to her? What does the angel say to her? Verse 30, the angel says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, this is a phrase that was often used throughout the Old Testament. In fact, we see it um, usually combined with the command to rejoice. It says, do not be afraid, but rejoice over and over again in the Old Testament, and it's almost always used when God is about to deliver his people. Wouldn't you say that's an appropriate greeting as you're coming to announce the birth of the Savior of the world? Don't be afraid. Rejoice. Rejoice, he tells her earlier in verse 28. Do not be afraid. Why? Why should she not be afraid? That's, that's I think, Uh, captures the whole idea of the message of the angel to her, is just do not be afraid, and then he also tells her why. Earlier in verse 28, he greets her, and he says, Rejoice, uh, rejoice, favored woman. Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Uh, Literally translated, the words that are used there, is grace to you who are highly graced. Grace to you who are highly graced, the root word of all two of those words that are used in that phrase, and one word that's used later when he says in verse 30, he says, you have found favor with God. It's the word grace again. Grace to you who are highly graced. And what I love about this is that the way that this word shows up here, it's a, it's a passive form of the verb. So it means that it's, it's not Mary's grace. It's not because of something that she has done. No doubt Mary is a godly woman, or God would not have chosen her to bear his son. But it's not because of her character. It's because God is working in a special way in her life, that God has extended a special amount of grace to her. The angel says, hey, you are a recipient of God's grace. You don't need to be afraid. God has extended his grace to you, grace to you who are highly graced. Uh, I love this, uh, this definition of grace. Grace is God's special activity in someone's life. And I think that's true with Mary, that God is working in a special way in her life, and he's extending grace to her. Ephesians 1.6, uh, we find that same phrase of being favored by God is applied to all those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. It says that you are all favored. You are all graced by God through your faith in Jesus Christ. The second reason the angel tells her not to be afraid is salvation. Salvation. He says you are to name your son Jesus. You are to call his name Jesus. Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. God is salvation. And the angel is going to go on and tell her some things that are going to be fulfillments of prophecy about the Messiah that were given long ago. And she's going to know that these things are true and that this is the Savior that she's waiting for. It's interesting that every teenage Jewish girl, even today, those who are devout, practicing Jewish girls, one of their prayers is that they would be the one who would be, be the mother of the Messiah, those who are still waiting for the Messiah. They still pray that to this day. And here, Mary, as a young girl, you can imagine, she perhaps asked God for the same thing. Oh, how great it would be To be the mother of the Messiah, the one who's going to come and deliver God's people. And now the angel comes and says, Mary, you are the one that God has graced. He's given this opportunity and you're going to bear the Savior. You're going to bear the Savior. We also see God's promises fulfilled. God's promises fulfilled. There's about five things that the angel lists here that are gonna be true of the son, that he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he goes on and he explains even more. I love this, that that the fact that he's Mary's son means that he will be fully man. The fact that he is the son of the most high means that he will be fully God. In those days when when someone was called the son of Jonah, the son of John, usually they would give them that name because they, they were an exact carbon copy of their father. They looked exactly like their father. And so they would call them the son of John because when I look at you, I see John. When I was a little kid, I can remember my mom would always look at me and she'd say, Charlie, you have your daddy's eyes. And I was about two years old and I would go, uh-uh. Like he's got his own eyes. Like I didn't understand that she meant that I just looked exactly like my father. Uh, and, and so you could call me the son of John, because if you see me standing next to my dad, I look like my dad John. And so it says he will be the son of the most high, means he will be a carbon copy of his father, fully man, yet fully God, so that he would be able to bear our sins and pay the penalty for our sins on the cross. Fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says unto us a son is born unto us, a son is given. The son is born, meaning that he's man. The son is given, meaning that he's from God. He is God. I love this. I love that. And then he goes on and he says that he will sit on David's throne. This is a fulfillment that God, of a promise that God made to David way back in Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. God promises that David will have someone on his throne forever. And David understands that God isn't talking about his son Solomon who will immediately precede him. In verse 19, he says, I know that you're speaking of the distant future, that you're speaking of something else, something greater than my son Solomon that's going to come later. And so we see that for over a thousand years, they've waited for this Messiah to come. And here he is. Here he is. And now Mary understands that The thing that was a distant future for David is now coming to reality in her lifetime. That the Savior, the Messiah that God promised all the way back in Genesis is now coming. Is now coming. And the last thing we see, the angel's message to her is a promise of God's presence. A promise of God's presence. Mary asks the question, she says, how can this be? It's not a question of doubt. She doesn't doubt. If you go back and you read Zechariah's story, the father of John the Baptist, he doubted. And the angel says, because you doubted, you're going to be silent. You're not going to be able to speak until your son is born. And it comes true. Mary doesn't doubt. She doesn't doubt. Her question is one of logistics. Like, I have not been with a man. How can I have a child? Like, she's old enough to understand how this works, right? You, You always get the question, where do babies come from? Her parents have had that conversation. And she understands. I've not been with a man. How can I have a child? And what does the angel say? It says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. From beginning to end of this pregnancy, God's Spirit will be with her. In the beginning, it will overshadow her, and then during the the pregnancy, God's presence will be within her. She has the promise that God will be with her throughout this whole thing throughout this whole thing. And then we see her response in Luke chapter one, verse 38. Let's look at that together. She says, I'm the Lord's slave. And Mary said, may it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. I want you to put yourself in Mary's shoes for just a moment. Think about all the things that she has to be worried about. Giving up her dream life, living the rest of her life being stigmatized by having a child out of wedlock while being engaged to another man. Everyone knows that this isn't his child because they know Joseph's character. The angel asks you, God asks you for this and he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna be with you. I'm fulfilling my promise through you. How would you respond? Would you have enough faith to respond the way that Mary does? She says, I am the Lord's slave. She responds in complete humility. She responds in complete humility. As I mentioned earlier, the the coming Messiah was something that Jewish girls had all heard about. They had all dreamed about, and they dreamed about being the one who would give birth to the Messiah. And so she's waiting for this day. And so you can imagine the angel comes to her and says, Mary, you're the one. And if she were like most teenagers, she probably would have said, it's about time. Man, we've been waiting on this Messiah for a thousand years. But that's not her response. She responds in humility and she says, I'm the Lord's slave. I'm the Lord's slave. May it be done to me as you have said. She has trust in God's plan. She has trust in God's plan. And you know she has to have trust in God's plan. Because here's the deal. She knows what Deuteronomy 22 says, that if she's found to be pregnant while engaged to a man, that she's to be taken outside the city in stone. And so she's got to trust God that this is his son, that this is his child, his Messiah, his chosen one, and that his desire is for this baby to be born. And so she's trusting God. God, I trust you that this baby's going to be born, that you're not going to let me be taken outside the city in stone. God, I don't know what's going to happen with Joseph, but I'm going to trust you that, that you're going to find a way, if it's not Joseph, that you're going to find a way for me to be taken care of. Because if Joseph goes through the process of getting divorced, which you had to do to break off a betroth- uh, an engagement during these days, that leaves Mary unmarried, without a way to provide for herself. There were very few jobs for women in those days. She would have no way to provide for herself and her son. And She says, I trust you, Lord. You're either going to provide through Joseph, he's going to to marry me, and he's going to accept this, or you're going to provide something else. Lord, I trust you. I trust that you're going to take care of this. And then lastly, we see complete and absolute surrender. I think that one word sums up these other two things, that Mary has surrendered. I'm the Lord's slave. Dulé is the word that she uses. A handmaiden, a female slave, was the absolute lowest position that you could have in society in that day. And that's the word that she uses. She says, I am submitting myself to the Lord. A slave, especially a female slave, had no choice of their own. They could only do whatever they were told to do. No freedom. No freedom. And she says, I'm the Lord's slave. I surrender to you, God. May it be done as you have said. I want to ask you this morning, we see that Mary had plenty to be worried about. But God's message to her is do not be afraid. And he makes a number of promises to her about his presence, about fulfilling his promises. And we see Mary's response. Mary's response is to surrender. This worried woman takes all of her worry and she surrenders it to the Lord. And I want to ask you this morning, because I think there's two different things that could be causing worry in our lives, and I want to ask you about your situation. The first thing that I think could be causing worry in your life would be a life situation. Are you worried about some life situation that you're going through right now? The holidays are coming, money's tight, and maybe you're worried about how you're going to provide Christmas presents for your family. Are we even going to have enough To provide Christmas presents for our family. Maybe it's your marriage has you worried. You know that as the holidays come, different stresses are gonna come up. It's gonna put even more stress on an already fragile marriage, and you're worried that maybe this is the year that our marriage doesn't make it through the holidays. Maybe you're worried about your kids. Have I I done everything I can to bring them up right? have I, have I let them be friends with someone they shouldn't be friends with? Are they in the right school? Am I doing the right things with my kids? Am I teaching them enough? Am I leading them enough? I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about all these other things that are in my life. Is there a life situation that has you worried? And the second, second thing that I think can be causing worry in some of our lives would be something that God has asked us to do. Are you worried about something that God has asked you to do? That God has very clearly said, I want you to do this. Scott Olson, I want you to take this step. And that has you worried. That has you worried. Perhaps God has said, you know what? There's there's this person uh, at work that I want you to share the gospel with. You know they don't know the Lord, and I want you to be the one to take them to coffee and to sit down with them and share your grace story of how you came to know Christ and how they can know for sure that through Christ their sins will be forgiven and they'll have eternal life. Maybe he's asked you to give above and beyond. Maybe you are looking at your bank statement thinking, Honey, it's going to be really tight this Christmas, but I see that Christmas tree back there on that table. And there's a tag for $25 and I know we don't have $25 to spare but I really feel like maybe we don't get each other gifts this year. Maybe we should give something to this other family. Or maybe it's even your regular giving that you're wondering, God, how can I trust you with my regular giving? And I'm worried. I'm worried about that. I'm, I'm worried, Lord. You've put this person in my life that their lifestyle is so different from mine. Their language is different from mine. The, the way that they act is different than the way I act, and I don't see how, Lord, you you could possibly call me to love them unconditionally. And yet God is calling you to reach out to them and to befriend them and to perhaps set aside some of the sin in their life in order to be able to focus on their need for Jesus Christ himself. Maybe, and this is one that I, I often struggle with, perhaps God is calling you to extend forgiveness to someone Someone who hurt you years ago. And God's looking at you and he says, I want you to forgive them. And you're worried because you don't know what'll happen if you do. If you surrender and I forgive them, then they get off scot-free. Anybody ever find themselves thinking that? If I forgive them, then they'll never suffer for what they did to me. But God says, I want you to forgive them. Perhaps you're here this morning and God is calling you to transfer your trust from your own good works onto the completed work of his son, Jesus Christ. And you're worried about what that will mean. You're worried about what it means to surrender your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. You're worried that if you were to submit yourself as God's slave, that he may call you to do something that you're not ready to do. I want us to move into a time of response in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to remind you of God's message. God's message to Mary is the same as it is to you. Luke chapter 1, verse 30. God says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Matthew 6, verse 25. For those of you who are worried about your life situation, Matthew 6, 25, Jesus says this. He says, This is why I tell you, do not worry about your life. Do not be afraid about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. Isn't life more than food, than body more than clothing? And he goes on and he continues to teach. And at the end, he just says, Don't worry. Do not be afraid. You have a life situation that's tough, you're not sure how it's going to work out. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You have something that God has called you to do. What is it that God says to Mary? Luke chapter 1, verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. If God has called you to it, if God has called you to it, he will ensure that it will happen. He will see you through. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I want to move into a time now of response And we have some elders in the room and their wives that are going to come up. They'll be on the sides. My wife and and I will be up here in the front. The worship team's going to come out and they're going to play for us as we continue to worship. And I just want to allow us the opportunity to respond. I hope you'll take some time. You'll see in the bulletin right there, it says, my situation. Would you just spend some time thinking about what is it in your life that has you worried? What is it in your life that has you afraid. Would you put that down on paper? Would you be brave enough to put that down on paper? And then perhaps you want someone to pray with you, one of the elders, one of the wives, to just spend some time to pray with you, to lay hands on you, to ask that God would remind you of his promises. I also have left the spot there where it says my response. You'll see it's just a big question mark. How will you respond? How will you respond to what God is calling you to do? He may have you in a difficult situation, but he has given you many promises. His message, is, message to you is do not be afraid. question is, will you surrender as Mary surrendered? Will you respond in faith? At this time, I'm going to ask our elders to come forward. Um, my wife is going to join me up here, and we're just going to move into a time of worship you're free to move about the room you're free to grab someone else you don't have to pray with an elder's wife if your community group leader is here and you'd like to pray with them grab them but we want to invite you to come before the lord and respond to him as this message to you is do not be afraid